in our Bibles this morning. If you turn with me, Psalm 1 is where I want to go. Psalm 1, everyone in their Bibles. Psalm 1, you follow as I read and we'll get into the message. The Bible says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, or like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He was a young man I knew well. He was a talented guy. Came from a quality home. Came from one of those homes. I think you know what they're like. Never missed a service. Family never missed an offering. Faithful people. He grew up in that kind of home with standards and convictions. And man, did he have talent. He could sing. He could give a speech. You could have a Christmas program at church. You could hand the speech to him on the way to the platform. He'd have it memorized and give it perfectly. And in high school, he could preach. Now, you that have me in class, you know I love contests, competition. So if there was a, a high school preaching competition, I coerced the kids in my church to enter. This guy, he won every one of them. Man, I tell you what, he could preach. At our church... We called him the next pastor because he was going to be the next pastor. He went off to Bible college. He looked just like you at one time, but he didn't finish. And today, if you'd look at him, you'd say, he went to Bible college? Because today he looks like somebody that grew up in the hood. He's got tats all over him. I don't think he's been in church in 10 years. And I ask myself, what happened? What happened? I rise this morning for a specific topic, narrowed down, just so you understand where I'm going and how long it's going to take me to get there. Here's the topic. Why do so many people turn away? After four years in Bible college, after six years, Bible college and master's, after a good home, after a good pastor, after good Christian education, preaching, standards, convictions, why in just a couple of years do they look like something that came out of the world? Why do they so fast look just like the unsaved? This morning, I want to preach from Psalm 1, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I want to preach this message entitled this, Spiritual Steadfastness. Spiritual 
steadfastness. Now, to be steadfast, probably not a word we use all the time, but it's in the Bible many places. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that last verse in 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, steadfast. Hebrews 3.14 says, hold our confidence steadfast. And 1 Peter 5.9, talking about the battle, the battle that we all face, he says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Talking about resisting Satan. Sometimes we could take and we could twist that word steadfast and we could use another word that some people would call a synonym, stubbornness, to be stubborn. And uh, we understand that to be stubborn in a wrong area is not a good thing. Uh, There's a lot of people stubborn in things that don't matter, things that don't count. Uh, There's a lot of stubbornness going on out there, people doing this and that. But steadfastness is stubbornness for a purpose. Steadfastness is saying... Uh, I am going to do what God has for me to do, what God wants for me to do, because it's the right thing to do. To be steadfast really has the idea of being anchored to a place, to a position. So I want to think with you just for a little while this morning about what it takes and how to become spiritually steadfast. When I was in Nebraska again this summer, and I was reminded of this as we were traveling around uh, in those 10 days, we drove almost 2,500 miles. Hey, it's a big state to cover it. You have to do that. And I said, I said this many times, and I heard myself saying it. A guy went over here and started a church, and he had a good start. He was there about four or five years, and they're running about 20. That's a good start in Nebraska, a very good start. And then he quit. And then I went to another town. I said, this guy, he went over there and he preached and he stood there and he had a good start. He had a going. He had about 15, 20, 25 coming after about six, seven years. And then he quit. And I started thinking about these guys. It's amazing to me. They started. In other words, somehow in their life, they had a call of God in life. Sound familiar? Somewhere in their life, God had spoken to them. They responded in a, champ, uh, a, cap, a chapel service, in a camp meeting or something like that, or going to camp. And God had spoken to their heart, and they went and they started, and people were getting saved, and they were being used of God. And then it got a little bit challenging, got a little bit hard, got a little bit difficult, got a little bit disappointing, a little discouraging. And here's the thing that I find amazing. Not only did they quit the ministry... They quit living for the Lord, too. I just find I could take you all across the state of Nebraska and say, uh, there's one place. Here's the guy that started a church. He was there 10 years. He's in prison today. There's another guy. He went, he said, listen, I'm just not called to preach. He said, he stopped. He went, I'm just going to go back and be a faithful layman in my church. Somebody called up that pastor and said, how's so-and-so doing? He said, I don't know. I haven't seen him. He said, really? Because he moved back there, never went back to his home church. Never one time. There's another story. It's a tragic story of a guy who did a good job, man. He was a hard worker. He was a flat-out soul winner. He could flat-out preach. He quit, uh, went into sin, uh, had a divorce, had a new marriage, and one of his daughters got to be marrying age, and she thought, you know what? I'm just going to put the past behind. I'm just going to forgive him. I'm going to fly out to my dad and ask him to walk me down the aisle, getting ready to get married. It was a big step. Hadn't even talked to him in 10 years. Flew out there and said, Dad, I love you. Uh, Let's just let bygones be bygones. Would you walk me down the aisle? And he said, no. 
I mean, that's how far away from the Lord he is. It's just astounding to me. Somebody says, I'm going to do something for the Lord, and when they quit, when they go back, man, do they quit. Man, do they go back. So this morning, I want to look together with you in Psalm 1 this morning. We must continue for God in order to please Him and stay faithful to Him. And God is trying to produce in your life someone who is spiritually steadfast. Spiritually steadfast. In our text this morning, Psalm 1, I want you to see several directives that talk about our need, our desire to be spiritually steadfast. The first one is in verse 1. He says to be careful. To be careful. Do you see it in verse 1? Psalm 1, he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There it is. There's a blessing. There's a blessing to those who understand this important principle. Now, in Psalm 1, he's describing a crowd of people that we are going to have to stay out, stay away from. Now, this is taught all the way through the Bible, and it's disobeyed by a lot of people, but it's a simple matter of personal separation. I've often said when I was pastoring, I said, listen, if somebody would get saved and decide to live for the Lord, I don't think you really got to say, I don't want to do anything, have anything more to do with that worldly crowd. If you'll actually live for God, they'll leave you alone. I mean, you don't have to separate from them. Just say, I can't do anything because I got to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I get to go to church. I want to serve the Lord. You say that enough, they're not going to want anything to do with you. You don't have to separate from them. They're done with you. So, but here it says there's a blessing to the person that understands this. Now, there is a downward progression in verse 1 of the people that are going to have an influence on us. First of all, I want you to see, first of all, three postures out of verse 1. Do you see it? Look at the text carefully. It says, blessed is the man, here's the first one, that walketh, not in the counsel of the godly, nor, number two, standeth in the way of sinners, nor, number three, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Do you see the downward progression? Do you see how verse 1 disobeyed? Verse 1 disobeyed in your life and in my life leads us downward. Do you see that? Look at it carefully. Do you see the text? First, you're walking. If you're walking with somebody, you can stop walking with them any time. Then you're standing. Do you see that? That's closer. That's a more intimate relationship. Then what do you do the third time? You sit down with them. You're casting your lot with them. Do you see that downward progression? Three postures, each one leading us farther away from God's will for our life and closer <clears throat> to what the devil wants for your life. Here's the second thing in verse 1, the philosophies. Do you see it there? It says this, first of all, in verse 1, Blessed is man that walketh not in the, number one, counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth, number two, in the way of sinners, number three, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There's a downward progression in the postures, and there's a downward progression in the philosophies. Now, counsel there is the word for advice or people giving advice. It's always strange to me who we go to for counsel, who we go to for advice. We ask people advice who don't have any idea what they're talking about, you know? I always said to the teenage boys in my church who had a tendency to like the teenage girls in my church. It's kind of a universal thing, folks. Really, it is. I said, listen, if you're looking for advice on that, you go to the fount of wisdom, another teenage boy. That's a joke. They don't know what they're talking about either, you know. Go to somebody that knows what they're talking about. Here it says the counsel 
of the ungodly or the advice of the ungodly. Now, the difficulty is today, we all know what the counsel of the ungodly is. It's everywhere. It's surrounding us on a regular basis. And if we're not careful, we can sit in a good place and look good and act good outwardly and inwardly. We're taking in wrong counsel. We're taking in wrong advice. We're listening to what the world says. We're listening to what worldly people have for us and the way they want to lead us. Do you see the philosophy? It goes from a counsel, just advice, to a way. The way of sinners, that's their course of life. And then the seat of the scornful how it leads them. First of all is the postures. Second of all is the philosophies. Thirdly is the people. Do you see it described there? It says, blessed is the man that walketh on the counsel, number one, of the ungodly. Number two, nor standeth in the way of sinners. And here's number three, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now, it's not time, we don't have enough time for a Bible study on the scorner. But it is kind of interesting. Uh, you guys that are going to go out and work with youth groups, good place to start, great opportunity. In every youth group, there's going to be a scorner or two or a bunch of them. A scorner is somebody who has said no to God, but they're also criticizing, mocking the way of God. They're not only content to not live for God, they're not content until they can lead other people away from the will of God. Proverbs 23.10 says this, cast out the scorner, and contention shall cease. If you cast out the scorner, and I don't think we necessarily have to cast him out physically, but if you'll cast out the scorner from your life, from your mindset, they, they will have a less of an effect on you, and you can go on, keep going on for the Lord. It says here in verse 1, blessed. There's a blessing for the man that avoids these individuals to be careful. That's hard to do. That's hard for us to identify this person's not going the right direction. I want to go a different direction. This person doesn't want to live for the Lord. This person wants to live for themselves. This person isn't going to go forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have to be careful so that I can still go forward to be careful. Uh, I don't know that we can emphasize verse 1 enough out of Psalm 1. I wonder how many people walked across this platform, received a degree, but because of the counsel of the ungodly, because of the way of sinners, because of the seat of the scornful, boy, they feel so superior to us. If you listen to them, they just drip with pride. They're filled full of themselves. Truth is, they haven't opened the Bible in years. They haven't been inside a good church. They wouldn't know what preaching is anymore. They don't know what it means to witness to anybody. And the truth of it is their personal lives are a mess, a disaster. First of all, he says to be careful. Second of all, do you see in verse 2, the second directive is to be consumed, to be consumed. Now, read the text and then you follow along. It says this because there's a great uh, statement in the text. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the godly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But, do you see the contrast? Do you see how from verse 1 to verse 2 we're changing direction? Now the question is, can you and I change direction like that? But here it is. But his delight. What's your delight? What is your real delight? What do you delight in? Do you delight in yourself? 
Do you delight in possessions, things? Do you delight in people praising you? But do you see what the verse says? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights in God's word. He delights in what God has for us. It's just a great contrast. You can live in verse 1. You can disobey verse 1. You can say, you know what? I like the counsel of the ungodly. I enjoy it. You can live in verse 1 or you can live in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And I understand we're in a Bible college. I understand we have all kinds of Bible classes. You have a Bible with you all kinds of times. You're reading the Bible. You have to for classes. I understand that. But really, do we obey this simple verse? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He loves the word of God. He loves the the scriptures. He allows the Bible to get a hold of him to change him, and to direct him. So first of all, we have to be careful, but second of all, we have to be consumed. We have to be consumed with the right things. We have to be consumed with the things that God wants us to be consumed with. We've got to be captivated by the things of God. We have to be captivated by the work of God. Uh, It's an old story. Uh, You guys that like hymn histories, you know that old old song, There is a Fountain... No, no... um, Written by Robert Robertson, Robinson. Now I've lost the title of it. Now I'm just like Antonio, who had picked a life verse and then couldn't remember it. You know, at least I'm not on my life verse. My life verse is Psalm 118.6, just in case you want to know. And yes, I have it memorized, so don't worry about that. Uh, but there's a hymn, <clears throat> and Brother Robertson knows exactly what the hymn is, but I'm too proud to turn on and ask him right now. So anyway, it's all good. But there's a verse in that saying, prone to wander, Lord, I feel. What's that hymn? Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise, right? Amen. Don't you love it when somebody forgets what they're supposed to remember, right? (laughs) Amen. The students are loving that right now. It was a hard test. I didn't have time to study. No, just kidding. It's it's what you guys say. Anyway, he wrote the song, and he was in a stagecoach. Once again, old time, not my lifetime stagecoach, but before that. And somebody was saying that says, what a great hymn this is. And the guy that wrote the words, he said to her, said to the person, said, I wrote those words, but I'm not living those words right now. Him history said that it so rebuked him that he came back to the Lord. It's interesting, though. But here's a simple truth that's hard to understand, and it's really hard to grasp when you're young, when you're sitting out there. But just because you're on fire for God today, doesn't guarantee you're always going to be on fire for God. We want you to be. It can be. There's, no, there's nothing in the world, nothing in the Bible, nothing in anything that says that we have to only have a certain amount, a certain percentage that go on for the Lord. There's nothing like that. 100% can go on for the Lord. Everybody can live for God. There's a place for all you young men to preach. We can find it easily. We just got to find the man who will want to preach. And there it is, number two, be consumed. Be consumed with the Scripture. Be consumed with the right application of the Scripture. But he says, but his delight 
is in the law of the Lord. We continue on our third directive, last part of verse 2. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Number one, be careful. Number two, be consumed. Number three, be contemplative. Be contemplating or meditating or thinking about the word of God. The Bible has so much to say about meditation. And I understand the world has taken that idea of meditation and taken it a different direction. But all to meditate means is to think on or to dwell on. Joshua 1.8, but meditate, he said, therein day and night. 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul writing to Timothy, he said, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. What do we think about? What do we spend our time in? I understand you have to read a bunch of Bible for scripture uh, for classes. I understand that. Uh, but I ask, I'm asking you, are you meditating upon what you're reading? Or is it just the turning of the pages? Are we allowing what... The Bible says to change us. Psalm 119.15, I will meditate in thy precepts. What God has told us to do. We dwell on them. We think about them. Sometimes we think about, if we're not careful, we can meditate upon the things in life that are difficult, that are hard, that have been challenging. And in the wrong way, we can meditate on it so much we think about it all the time. And we get away from what God has for us. But verse 2, what a great contrast to verse 1. First of all, delight in it. And then next, he says, to meditate on it. The fourth thing I want you to see, the fourth directive is to be consistent. Be consistent. God has a place for you. God wants to use you. God has something for you to do. Now, it's a challenge. It's a battle. Without the battle, we would, we would we see all of the casualties, we see all the difficulties, we see all the compromise, and we have to come to the conclusion, it's a war out there. It's a real war out there. Be consistent, starting in verse 3, notice what it says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Notice with me in verse 3, if you're consistent, the first thing you have is stability. And he shall be like a tree, here it is, planted by the rivers of water. There's stability. Now, the stability is not in you. The stability is in your surrender to God and to his word. It's not in us. But the problem is God has to use us. And he has to use people. He needs to find people that are like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, if you read the great missionary biographies, if you read the great biographies of anybody that ever did anything for the Lord, you will see and understand that there are difficulties and trials that come to every person that's ever served the Lord. Sometimes we can say this is a trick of the devil. You say, well, if you had it as easy as somebody else, then you'd be fine. That's just a lie of the devil. It's not easy. Is this vile world a friend of grace to help us on to God? The answer is no. It's never been easy. It never will be easy. It's always been a challenge. It's always been a struggle. And God is looking for people who will rise up and say, I want that battle. I want that struggle. I want that challenge to do something that counts, to do something that lasts, to do something that matters, to do something that counts in this day and age. He says, and he shall be like a tree planted. Tree planted. I've said this in many classes, but over the years, 
of uh, preaching, serving the Lord. You'll run into people, uh, people in the ministry, people in your church that just went through unbelievable trials. I mean, off the charts kind of trials. And I can't tell you what a blessing some of those individuals have been to me just because in the midst of their storm, they were like a tree that was planted. They just kept on serving the Lord. Sometimes I've heard good Christians say, and I understand exactly what they're saying. I'm not criticizing this statement. Sometimes this kind of statement can be criticized. But I've heard good Christians say about somebody else who said, sometimes life just isn't fair. It's so painful. It hurts so much. But there is when the time comes. There's a tree planted by the rivers of water. A tree planted. Are you that kind of tree? Are you that kind of challenge? You know, the, the joke is they say if you like hire on as a reporter at a news uh, station, TV station in the southeast, your first job is going to be covering that first hurricane. Remember, you know, you're standing right by the water. The wind is 125 miles an hour. You can't even stand up. That's where you start out at. You know, when you when you get a little bit loud on the road, they'll give you a better job. But that's where you start. But the storms are going to come. We can't act like they're never going to be there. There have been storms. And the question is, in your life and in my life, are we like a tree that's planted near the end of the life and ministry of Spurgeon? Spurgeon died young. He was only 59, had many physical problems, different things. But near the end of his life, he went through what's called the downgrade controversies. There's books written on that. It's kind of an interesting historical study. Anyway, Spurgeon went the largest church, and he also had a college, and he basically trained all the preachers, but most of them turned their back on Spurgeon and went liberal or modernist. Spurgeon, many times, if you read his stories, he would take vacations. He'd go from London, where he's at, and he'd go to vacation. He had a place in France where he'd rest. And when he went to the train station to go to the place where he'd go to rest, the reporters would be with him. And one time, right in the midst of this time, where uh, his own preacher boys turned on him, his own family turned on him. The vote was 1,000 to 7 against Spurgeon. How Spurgeon can lose a vote like that is just beyond my comprehension. And the reporter said to him, just as he boarded the train, he said, Charlie, that's what they called him, how are you doing in the midst of the battle? And he said, the battle is killing me. It's a true statement. The truth is, he'd be dead not long after that. But I'll tell you what, till the end, he never dipped his sails. To the end, he never changed what he believed. To the end, he was still serving and preaching and doing what God had for him to do. Can you be like a tree planted by the rivers of water? Now, you've been through storms. I understand that. Some of you have been through terrible storms. But the question is, in the midst of all of the storms, storms in the past, storms in the future, are we going to demonstrate that stability that we are a tree planted by the rivers of water? Notice in verse 3, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. That's fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. He shall be a, like a tree. He's got stability. He's stable. He can go through the, the challenges, the difficulties, the trials, the heartaches. And then he produces fruit. He produces fruit fruit. Back in the old, uh, several years ago, my brothers uh, were in the military. They were drafted during the Vietnam 
Vietnam War. My oldest brother went to Vietnam, and uh, my youngest brother, they had a rule then, it was coming out of World War II, that uh, two brothers couldn't save and, uh, serve in the same area of fighting. It was a, a rule left over from World War II. They've changed that now. But anyway, so my, they were in about the same time. But back then, they had what they called like one year of training. Now, these guys were drafted. I hard to believe there was a draft in this country where basically you got a postcard in the mail one day and say, Uncle Sam desires you to be there. Now, you guys, if you know history, know that some people ran away, some people burned their draft cards, some people ran to Canada, but a lot of people just went and served. And he spent one year in training and one year in Vietnam. It's kind of interesting. Now, you have boot camp. Now, I don't pretend to act like I know what boot camp is, but I think I understand the principle. You're not in battle, but you're getting ready for battle. Now, some people, listen to me carefully, love the getting ready for battle. That's you guys. But the problem is, that's not all there is supposed to be. There is a real battle out there. That's what we're trying to get you ready for. There's a mission field for you somewhere. There's a church in America. There's a place to start a church. You're not there yet. God is training you right now for that place. God has something for you to do. One time early in the years at Nebraska, I was very discouraged. And I was sitting there on a Sunday morning service. And we had Sunday school at 10, church at 11, church got done at 12, and the building cleared out at 12.01. That's a sign of not a very good church, but that's just the way it was in the early days. And I was discouraged, and I was having a pity party with the Lord. The Lord wasn't participating, but I was full bore into the pity party thing, i tell you what. And I was just sitting there. My wife was at home. She was getting the meal ready. And I was just sitting there in the back pew of church. And a guy walked in. And he said, Pastor, look, could you help me with something? And he sat down. He hadn't been in church that morning. In the entire 26 years I pastored there, he probably was in the building about six or seven times. And he came in and he said, Pastor, look, could you help me with something? And he had this little problem. I, we talked a little bit, five or 10 or 15 minutes or whatever. And he said, thank you so much. You helped me. And you left. And here's what the Lord said to me. Now, not audibly, so it's not a strange thing, but it's just the truth. He said, you know what? There's a ministry here. If, you can, if you're man enough to hang around for it, if you're tough enough, if you can trust me enough, there's a ministry here. Because you know what I was saying to the Lord? There's nothing here. It's time to quit. Anybody can quit. Now today, what you do is you get to quit and you get to put on Facebook and you get to separate from everybody on the planet. But the truth of it is, God is saying, is there somebody that can be like a tree planted so that they can produce some fruit? Some souls, some people that get saved, some people that want to live for the Lord. That's what the battle is about. The battle is for you so that you can go out and make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was fruitful. Second of all, thirdly there in verse 3, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I know in our modern American mindset, we think of prosperity, we think of money, we think of success, but that's a different kind of prosperity there, isn't it? That's real spiritual prosperity, right? Real spiritual success. Thirdly was faithfulness. Stability to fruitfulness to faithfulness. Where are you at? Spiritually steadfast. 
This is, I understand it's a challenge. A lot of you kids are working a lot of hours. There's a lot of schoolwork to do. You got to pay your bill. I understand there's a lot of moving parts here. I understand there's a lot of challenge. I don't minimize that at all. But don't you see that it's a preparation for what God has for you? God has a place for you. He can use you. There's a place that God wants to put you. Whenever I think of those guys that went to Nebraska to start a church and then quit, I think about what about all the people that never heard the gospel because they weren't there? What about all the people that maybe they would have came to church? Maybe they could have got saved. I don't know. But no one is there to tell them. Just because somebody quit. Just because somebody gave up. Spiritually, steadfast. Not just steadfast, not just stubborn, but stubborn for the right things. God is working in your life. Allow God to teach you some things in these days that will make you strong enough to stand in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the battles. We are, all of us, are blessed by those who have gone before us who didn't quit because they kept going, because they kept preaching, because they kept serving. And that's exactly what God has for you to do. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for these students, the blessing that they are to us. And Lord, we ask you to work in their lives, work in their hearts, teach them what you have for them to do. Lord, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's a place for all of them to go, a place for all of them to serve, And, uh, Lord, you can do great and mighty things through them. And, Lord, I pray that you'd build these things in our life, that we'd be faithful, be obedient to you, and be uh, allowing you to teach us what we need to have in our life. Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.